This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery. Bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the show, everybody. Welcome to Reading fans. Welcome to Bournemouth fans. Welcome to Everton fans. And I'm sure welcome to a lot of Premier League and EFL fans as well. Um, Please do hit like, subscribe and the bell button below as well. It does help this channel to grow. And we're going to be discussing a lot more subjects like this one um, on this channel moving forwards. Now, for anybody who doesn't know me, of course, I grew up and was born in the rural county of Berkshire. I did move down to Bournemouth back in 2008, of course, when Bournemouth were on minus 17. But for the early years, I grew up watching the Royals. Firstly at Elm Park and then the Medeski Stadium, which, of course, is now called the Select Car Leasing Stadium. The club was well ran for many years by John Medeski. Um, It was a stable club. It was a club that was built brick by brick, was built sensibly. And it was with sensible managers as well. The likes of Alan Pardew, Steve Koppel, Brian McDermott, you name it. These managers, you know, helped that club grow and grow and grow. Of course, Medeski is no longer involved with the football club and he sold to, firstly, Anton Zingovaric and then to a Thai consortium who then sold the football club to Dai Yong. Now, Dai Yong is most definitely the villain of the piece. He is a man who has taken one of the staples of English football, a club who was formed in 1871 to the brink of disaster. And of course, with a vested interest, I am going to be making a lot more videos about this subject and making sure that this man leaves Reading Football Club as soon as possible. For anybody who doesn't feel that, you know, Everton or Reading or those sides, you know, do really bother them do keep in mind you know and it's a well-known song by the manic street preachers 
if you tolerate this, then your club could well be next. So really, the whole football family should get behind Reading in getting this man out. But what really is going on? Now, I have got a very, very special guest on this show. And my special guest is a leader in business and management. In fact, he specializes in Chinese business. He is a lecturer at Edge Hill University. It is a pleasure to welcome onto the show, Dr. Mike Gao. Welcome to the show, Mike. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks, Craig. How are you? Yeah, very, very well. Apart from this issue that has been plaguing my hometown club mm -hmm. for a long, long period of time. And it's a situation that's been ongoing. It's something that the club have been struggling with. Um, and traditionally, a very, very well-run football club. Um, mm -hmm. But before we go into all this, do tell us a little bit more about yourself, Mike, and what you do. Right, so I'm a I'm a lecturer in business and management at Edge Hill University uh, in Ormskirk, so about ten miles outside Liverpool. Um, and my area of research is I, I I have a PhD in East Asian studies, primarily a focus on on China, um, and I research um, cultural industries and the role of the private sector in uh, Chinese state building projects. So. Um, so my area sort of crosses politics, sociology, social sciences, and uh, business. Um, so obviously with this story um, with Dayonga at Reading, um, it's something that, I, that I've sort of got interested in because of that. I mean, also because I'm an Everton fan, so we've got our own problems at the moment, as, yep. as I know you're well aware, Craig. Um, but nothing on the scale of the um, torment that the Royals fans are going through at the moment. So, um, so yeah, so I'm 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 interested in this. Um, my research has looked quite extensively at China's football reform and development plan. Um, that's an area that I can continue to 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 look at. Um, so I've really been following this a lot since I would say twenty, well, twenty thirteen onwards. Uh, and much more since 2016, look, keeping up to date on, on what's happening in Chinese football. But also in that sort of 2016 period onwards, 2015, 2016, we saw a lot of outward investment and a lot of acquisitions of European football clubs, agents, all this type of stuff um, from very wealthy Chinese entrepreneurs. Um, so trying to keep tabs on that as well. Excellent stuff. I am gonna. I'm not gonna profess to be an expert in business and management. Definitely not Chinese business. But what I'm gonna do is try and drill down as much as possible. But let's start off with Dai Yong, and mm -hmm. you know how he actually made his money because, of course, China is a communist state. Mm -hmm. um, however, I understand that there are certain rules above and below ground, and what he's done is he's built out of underground shelters, shopping mm. centres. Is that correct? And can you elaborate on that? Right. So um, Dayong is he's a, a businessman, entrepreneur. Um, he's what you call, uh, he, he's one of the entrepreneurs that really started um, making a lot of money 
in the late 90s and but primarily through the um early 2000s onwards so the first decade of the of the of the 2000s um and he's from a province in northern china called uh, Heilongjiang um which is uh, the province that borders with Siberia. So the Heilongjiang is the Black Dragon River. In Russia, they call it the Amur River. Um, so it's that province, the northernmost province in China that borders with Siberia. Um, so, you know, a cold and unforgiving place, uh, as it were. But um, but he's a very successful entrepreneur um, who's ridden the wave of uh, massive growth in China, particularly after they joined the World Trade Organization in 2001. Um, and one of the areas that, that he, um, him and his family, his, his sister has been very involved in this from the mid-90s onwards as well, is uh, real estate. And what happened in China, in China is the, there was lots of cities with these disused underground air raid shelters. Yeah. And the family basically cottoned on to the fact that um, local municipal governments and um, were willing to rent these out for absolute pittance and peanuts. And so it turned these into sort of shopping malls and uh, marketplaces and this type of thing. So, you know, I mean, like, like a lot of people in China, um, a sort of story of, of, of someone who's just seized the moment, um, made a hell of a lot of money. Um, I mean, we're talking a, a massive amount of money. Um, and he's he was until I think 20, 20, 2015, 2016, he was chairman and CEO of um, Runher Group, yeah. um, which is now known as Dealey Group. He had a brand name change uh, a few years back. Um, and that is that is a company that's floated on the China Stock Exchange. Since then, though, they've really sort of got out of the um, real estate sector. And they're working much more in agriculture and logistics. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a very large company, um, has been very profitable, very successful. Um, but that's sort of up to pre-COVID. And then since then, the Chinese economy has been having a lot of issues. There's also different political winds. Uh, the political climate is changing um, quite dramatically. Um, in the last few years. So uh, it's not without its challenges. But that's basically his background, yeah. Um, it made his initial fortune um, in that in that sector, converting these air raid shelters into shopping malls and uh, marketplaces and, and, and this type of thing. So let's take it back a little bit um, to when they took over at Reading Football Club. And um, Reading were in the playoff final um, it was 2017. Um, mm -hmm. The club was owned by a Thai consortium at the mm -hmm. time, which was owned by uh, Sesame Strip Corn. Mm -hmm. um, and then Dai Yong took the club over, literally on the eve of that playoff final. Now, one thing that has been mentioned by Derby fans in the past is that, of course, they got into their own playoff final mm -hmm. and lost it. And of mm. course, Reading got into the playoff final in 2017 and lost that to Huddersfield Town. Yeah. If Reading had been promoted that day, mm. do you think that Reading fans would be sat here talking about these issues at this point in time? It's it's entirely. I don't. I mean, it's 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 impossible to say, obviously. Yeah. But um, 
what we've seen since then is uh, while the club's in the sort of dire straits at the moment and, uh, you know, uh, kind of afford to pay his players, um, he's laying staff off, um, he's really stripped down to the bare bones, he's selling off a lot of promising young talent for what appears to be absolute peanuts. Um, we really can't say. I mean, what's certainly been evident is that the, the, the Dyers have put money into the club. Yeah. And from what I've seen, and I, I, I've not by any means had a deep look into the finances. I'm not an account. I'm not really an accountant's person anyway. Um, but from what I've uh, discussed with with some Reading fans is that, you, you know, we're looking at sort of 120, 130 million that's been invested by the Dyes since they took over the club. The problem has been that that's, that's not been invested wisely um, and it's been frittered away largely on inflated transfer fees and ex exorbitant wages and, and long contracts that have been given to players. Um, also on the fact that, obviously, once they've fallen into to, to, um, trouble, they've then been hit with points deductions, they've plummeted down the leagues, they're now in League One. So, it, I, 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 you know, you would think, OK, you get up to the Premier League and then you know the increased revenue streams that come through, that's obviously going to pay for the players. But what's evident is, I mean, if you can manage the club this badly in a league where it doesn't cost as much to compete, um, yeah. I think there's every chance that the, the, the situation could well have been worse. You could have ploughed more money into it get going into the Premier League um, and tried to, you know, tried, tried to recruit even more players on, on higher wages still. So we don't know. I, I, I would, I, I think that, He's managed the. Well, has he managed the club? I'm not sure he has any day-to-day -day running or insight. But the way that the club has been managed since he's been taken since since the dies took over has been, um, well, what's a polite term that we can use? Um, Shocking. Absolutely awful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't think that there's any guarantee that that would have changed had they got to the Premier League. Um, so, but, but at the end of the day, we just we just don't know, do we? Well, rewinding back to that point as well, um, it was quite clear that Dai Yong always wanted a Premier League football club. Mm. And you know where this is going. Of course, the Premier League rejected his takeover of Hull City, who were in the Premier League at the time, from uh, Fitzroy Allen. Um, I believe that's his name. Um, mm. And... Of course, um, Dai got rejected by the Premier League. Now, he's gone to the EFL, and they've approved him for that. What was the difference between the fit and proper person's tests in the Premier League and his takeover at Hull and the takeover at Reading? Well, from what I can gather, from what I've... Uh, and, and again, this is not something that I've looked into incredibly deeply, but it was a very different um, consortium that went into hold so there were other people involved and there were questions over the sources of the money um when dies come in to take over a reading it looks very much to me like he is on his own with this he's not in with a consortium of other chinese bidders whose um, funds are from sources that cannot be verified should we say okay so um so I think they're two very different cases. And, um, you know, I've seen certain criticisms going around, you know, this guy was rejected by the Premier League. 
Well, possibly, but they were two completely different applications for two different clubs. Um, there's, that doesn't, I would say cautiously, that doesn't in any way mean that the EFL's um, owners and directors test is weaker than that of the Premier League. If anything, when you look at the EFL's PSR, you look at the regulations, you look, they're far more well developed than the Premier League regulatory documents. So, so I don't know if there, there, there's any relationship between the whole rejection and the and the EFL. Certainly, I don't think they're the same case. So, um, they, they have to be sort of treated on a case by case basis, and they're quite different. Do you feel that the EFL, though, um, when the money was being spent at Reddit, and it probably could, and it, to be honest, you're the perfect person to speak to as an Everton fan as well. Do you feel that the governing bodies should be able to step in and say, you're spending too much for, and the club's going to be in trouble? Do you feel that the clubs should be restricted from doing that? I guess there's been elements that they're trying to do that now, especially in the Premier League. Um, but should he, he have been stopped from spending all this money? Um, well, I mean, this is the thing. I think you go back to about 20... 29th, it might even be before that, 2017, 2018, 2019. I mean, Reading had a, a wage bill that was 200% of their entire revenue stream. Yeah. Um, which is, I mean, clinically insane for any business to be spending that much on wages uh, in relation to, in, 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 in proportion to their revenues. So, um, so th those flags were those flags were raised. I mean, and and Reading were hit with a six point deduction over this. The the ESL was was pretty. The, the ESL is different for the Premier League in the way that they enforce PSR as well. They've been a lot stricter with it, um, and they've um, you know they've not sought to have any sort of negotiation over this. If you break it, you break it, and you're going to get taken to a, a disciplinary commission. That seems to be the way that the EFL operates. That doesn't seem to be the way that the Premier League has operated up until up until now. Um, so, but, but the issue is, and this is what it's revealed. I mean, talking to Reading fans and 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 following what's going on over the last sort of month or so, um, is the 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 situation at Reading and at Sheffield Wednesday as well. Um, and previously at Derby County, what it shows is that we've got regulators that have no legislative power, no statutory power whatsoever. And while they think they might be able to strong arm owners into selling or doing what they want them to do, they have no they have no power to do this whatsoever. Um, you know, I mean, Reading's in a situation at the moment where this sort of nuclear button if you like, is that they could expel Dai Younger um, as a director. Sorry, not they could disqualify Dai Younger as a direct director. But my understanding yeah. of this um, is that if they do that, the EFL disqualifies him as an owner or director. What that does is that starts a 28-day clock ticking. And if the club is not sold by that time, Reading get expelled from the English Football League. So it's it's basically, and I said this to someone a couple of weeks back, it's, it, it, it's almost like that sort of nuclear option. It's, it's, it's a kind of a game of 
Russian roulette where you know the chamber is loaded, but instead of pointing it at Dai Younger's head, it's pointed at Reading Football Club's head. And if he doesn't do something about it, he's not the one that bears the, the, the full consequences of those actions. So, um, so to go back to your question, should should regulators have power to step in? Absolutely. And that is a key and central question of the upcoming debate that we're going to be having on an independent regulator of English football. Um, they need to have powers to, to punish and remove <clears throat> and uh, sanction the people responsible for running football clubs. One thing, though, that I, I was thinking when, you know, and I see even saying this to my father as well, um, about the situation at Reading is the the Bournemouth situation when Bournemouth were in administration all those years ago it was because people had run out of money mm. this man hasn't run out of money it just seems to be that he's being a stickler that he's not actually providing the funds or has he actually got the money that you know he says he has well, we've no idea um, <clears throat> the extent of his actual wealth. Um, you know, you can have, you can look at rumored net worth. You can look at um, maybe what, um, how much his his son is deemed to be worth in the Huron report, and uh, his son is around, I think, nine hundred and twenty seventh um, richest in the Huron report, which is the wealthiest people in um, in mainland China. Um, but that has been a, a quite significant fall uh, over the last two years. Um, so, but you can look at you can look at those um, statistics. That doesn't mean he's got the cash. That means net worth of all the assets that he, you know, allegedly owns. But one thing that we we see with um, with with Dayonga is it's trying to figure out when when the sort of tap got turned off, if you like, and we're looking around. 2020. I mean, we're looking pretty much um, COVID sort of time period. This is when we start seeing a lot of clubs running into difficulties anyway, obviously because a lot, uh, particularly the lower down the leagues you go, because they're losing match day revenues, which for lower tier football clubs is absolute, you know, that's their meat and potatoes. That's what they live on. Yeah. Right, so for clubs, the further up you go, the more diverse the revenue streams are, the less important match day revenue becomes. But still, clubs were taking taking hits. But also, the owners will have been affected. We saw this with Leicester. I mean, the 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 the, the Thai family that own Leicester, the, the, their money is in. Um, is it, are they Thai? I'm pretty sure. Yes. Yeah. I think so. um, they're in um, tourism and and travel which was obviously one of the most decimated industries. So it's, this is one of the reasons that we saw Leicester really struggle. I mean, they were struggling anyway. They were losing a lot of their players to top clubs after they won that title. Um, but then they end up with an owner that can't keep pumping money into the club. And this is the, this is the real problem that we've got in football, is that we've got a situation where Owners can come in and throw hundreds of millions at a club, like Farhad Mashiri has done. Yeah. But instead of spending that money on the stadium, what Mashiri did was spend it on transfer, um, transfer fees and wages, which is essentially lost. 
Um, that, 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 that's not a real investment, is it? It's not. No. There's no tangible asset at the, uh, at the at the at the end there. Um, so you know, there's not going to get that. He's not going to get that money back unless we suddenly discover twenty Wayne Rooney's in our youth ranks. <laughs> I mean, that's the only way that that's going to happen. He's just never. He's never going to. He's never going to recoup any of that. Any of that money. Um, but the problem is, is that when they decide to turn the taps off, and this is really why the Crouch Report, the fan-led review of football governance, was commissioned in 2020, because of clubs like Bury, Macclesfield, Wigan, Derby County, all encountering these problems where they've got profligate owners who run the clubs incredibly badly, and then all of a sudden just decide, well, I'm not throwing good money after bad. Now the club's got to live on what it earns. But because of the exposure to high salaries and stuff the club's not bringing in enough revenue to break even and they end up getting further and further in debt they have to sell players they have to lay off staff they have to maybe even sell their stadium or training ground rent it back this type of thing um so yeah we've got we've got a situation where our regulators are presiding over a system that inherently play well not inherently but can place our football clubs at massive risk of administration, insolvency, and liquidation, um, and they cannot remove the people responsible for this. And the other thing is that when those people do do something wrong, as Reading, as Sheffield Wednesday, as Derby County, and now Everton have, have, have found out, the sanctions that are handed down by the football authorities don't punish the owners at all. It punishes the fans. Uh, it certainly doesn't punish the directors. Maybe punishes the owners in terms of reducing the uh, value of the assets that they own but it punishes the fans and it punishes the team and it punishes the, the towns and the cities that they live in um so it's it's completely unfit for purpose i mean it's infuriating really um so yeah i i mean i think everybody should be really angry about this and i'll, I'll give credit to reading fans i mean they, they are they, they think about this stuff you know that they're, they're they're not as they're not as fury and rage-led as uh, some of the guys that I know here in Liverpool uh, are, if you go down to Goodison. I mean, there's some real real anger. Yeah. Um, but, the, but, but the Reading guys have been quite calm about this, but I think they're getting to the stage now where, you know, even, even their patience is being seriously tested. They've been very, very creative about everything, haven't they, as well? Hmm. Um, and, you know, of course, there was the pitch invasion, um, you know, there was other elements that they bought, you know, with the tennis balls. And of course, yeah. they've recently had the clown day as well. Um, or at the weekend, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they, they've been very, very creative. But one thing that, you know, I and I was reading something and this actually was a bit of a demonstration that was put together by a gentleman called Matthew um, and do you know what something really annoyed me is that it feels like Dai Yong has completely and utterly asset stripped this football club mm. and this has to be stopped by the EFL, the Premier League because it's destroying the history you know, mm. there is Sir John Medeski, who, of yeah. course, built the stadium. Yeah. He's actually transferred the stadium into his name, you mm -hmm. know, um, for 
and I believe it was 26 million to um, Ren Sports Management, of course, which is called Dilly now. And then it was sold out of Ren Sports Management mm -hmm. for 39.8 million right. with an annual rent of 1.5 to Reading Football Club. And yeah. so he's out already it's... asked to strip the stadium. He's just mm. torn, torn the life and blood out of it. I mean, this is this is an interesting. I mean, I came across this actually earlier today. I was looking around for something because I'd noticed there was some rumor going around that that Dayonga is now entertaining bids for around thirty million. Yeah. And Matt, I think it's the same Matt. Yes, Matt it is. Talking yeah. about, um, he he sort of corrected me and he said, "Well, actually, this bid back in December was rumored to be around thirty million, and then all of a sudden the price was hiked at the last minute, and the bidders pulled out." Um, which which does not surprise me in the slightest. This is quite common in mm. a sort of um, negotiation scenario in China. Is that um, it takes a lot longer, and it's not a it's not a linear process. It's you keep looping back and going round and round over the um, all the um, different negotiation points as the full agreement emerges, basically. Um, but, but but one thing I, I, I noted was that it, it seemed to be very similar to the Sheffield Wednesday situation, where that stadium has been sold to another company owned by Dayonger, who then rents it back to the club um, for a fee, whether you could call that a nominal fee or not. But that means it's so the question that then arises is what is being sold here for thirty million? Is it Reading FC minus the stadium? Because if he's valuing that at thirty nine million, as you said, yeah, the chances of him selling the stadium that he's paid thirty nine million for and Reading Football Club for 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 a combined price of thirty million to me just seems, um, you know, that's just not going to happen. Um, and I think the the, the really worrying thing. Um, is that we've already seen. So when Dai took over, um, he owned Beijing Renhe uh, Football Club, which now no longer exists. Yeah. Um, that went into liquidation in 20, 2019, 2020. And then shortly after that, um, the Belgian club, uh, KSB Roslar, I think is the how you pronounce it. Yeah. Um, they, were, they were liquidated. And that was allegedly down to an unpaid restaurant bill of 20,000 euros that, 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 that had somehow got by um, the process and had not been settled. And, you know, so and you just think, so that's two clubs that probably likely served in their interest on the owners and directors test. So if you've got, if you're buying a football club in, in England yeah. and you've, you own and run a Chinese Super League club and you own um, a Belgian club that, for a, that's been around for 105 years or whatever it was, and that's going to stand you in good stead. But you know, should we should we be introducing as part of the IREF, um, you know, any if if you've been involved in the liquidation of any football clubs, you're immediately disqualified from ownership. That would seem to me, yeah, like quite a sensible policy, would it not? Um, so. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it, it's it's very infuriating to see what's happening um, at Reading, um, and, and like I say, I think the fans, to their credit, they're still handling this um, with their thinking hats on. But um, 
but yeah, something has to change. To to go back to your last question, I don't think I answered fully. Is 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 Dayunga's wealth? Um, and I think this is something that maybe Reading fans are, are interested in. And I've, I've posted a few things in conversations on on Twitter and here and there. The the, the problem is with 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 Day. He's he's one of these guys. Now there's a lot of rumours floating around about him and connections to um, wealthy uh, or, or politically powerful families in China. But yeah. I have to say that the sources of this information all trace back to one guy called Guo Wangui. He's also known by his, his sort of anglicised name, Miles Kwok, mm-hmm. who is a very um, corrupt, shall we say, and uh, um a very notorious property developer who made a lot of money again in the same time period as Dai, 2000s to first decade of the 2000s. Yeah. Um, and has since been sort of ostracized and he was exiled out and he was spending a lot of time in, in, in the US. So a really, really dodgy character. Um, and that seems to be the source of a lot of these rumors about Dai Ongu. However, there are other sort of nuggets of information out there that seem to check out. And the rumor is really is that he acts as what you call a baishou tao, a white glove, um, or the money handler for, for for powerful Chinese elites. The other rumor is is that part of the business operations in in China it's very very difficult to move money out out of China, um, even for Chinese citizens. But if you're a foreigner and you want to send your paycheck home, you've got to show proof at the local, at, at the bank where you remit the funds from, you've got to show proof that you've paid tax on that earnings. So if you, and if you don't have that, you can't send any more than $500 a month. The Chinese citizens, the maximum you can send out in a, in a calendar year is 50,000. And that includes if you go overseas and use your bank card overseas, that contributes to the 50,000. It's very, very strict capital controls. And that's to try and keep all the money in China uh, remaining in China. So the rumor is is that Dai's or Dai's family have been involved in um, these sort of underground banks that have helped China's middle class and wealthy and certainly very wealthy elite to transfer capital overseas. Now going back to the football development that happened back in the sort of 2014 2013. Uh, 2014 onwards 2013 onwards yeah that sort of early stage acquisitions um in in the first term of xi jinping's reign which is 2012 to 2017 we then see in 2016 this big push for a football development in china and that's when we start seeing chinese companies like um like wanda goes over to uh, Spain and invests in Atletico Madrid and builds the, the new stadium there. We've got other companies with Inter Milan investing there, also buying sports agents. This seemed to be another one. There was a massive investment in some of the major sports agencies that control player transfers and what have you. Um, and we also see um, individual entrepreneurs um, like Dai Yong-Gu, um coming over and investing in Reading. We had Chinese investors in Wolverhampton Wanderers as well, I believe. Yeah. Uh, um, so, and, and this this is a spate of sort of acquisitions and expansion overseas. Now, there was always the narrative that why are they doing this? Well, it's because the Chinese football clubs want to learn how to do these things. So they're coming over and they're buying up stakes in some of these successful clubs. Well, maybe, but I think a big reason 
for this was that there was a political incentive to do this. Mm -hmm. By getting on board with this, you're showing support for a key policy of the Xi Jinping, new Xi Jinping administration, just as they're moving into their second term. But also, is what this allows to do is, is, is if you've got a, a, an acquisition overseas, it makes it a hell of a lot easier for you to move money around and to get your money out of out of out, out of China. And we see this with Dai. And any sort of thread you pull on to look at where his money comes or, or, or how much money he's got usually ends up um, a, a British Virgin Islands holding company. And this yeah. three have been able to sort of trace. So the first one is um, is well something investments, and they yeah. own they own a single share um, for this uh, Runhur Sports uh, company that owns Reading Football Club. So, so Dai himself is not does not actually own Reading Football Club. It's owned by a company, which is then owned by a company based in the Virgin Islands that has one share, the single share that's ever been issued for, for that UK-based company. So, so that's a kind of dead end. But what I did find out was that there are a number of cases back in China and in Hong Kong that seem to be putting a massive question mark over, if not his wealth, then certainly his liquidity and his cash flow. Um, so yeah, I think this is something that, 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 that should have alarm bells ringing. Um, and the question is, is how desperate is he to sell? Is it, is it a case that he absolutely needs cash to service other debts and service other losses that, that have been made? Or is it a case where he can afford to let Red NFC go under if he still owns that stadium? And then just liquidates the thing. I mean, is that if if we look at it in pure cold bottom line terms? Yeah. Which decision gives him the better money? Is it is it selling the club on, or is it liquidating it? And I, I don't know. I've not had a look at any of the, the 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 books in that level of detail. But one thing that does worry me is the fact that it looks like he owns the stadium through yes. another snow company. Um, so what is up for sale? This is a big question I think we need to figure out. Is it just is it just the football operations? Well, the stadium I know is protected by Redinborough Council. So mm. that can't actually be used for anything apart from sporting purposes. It's very much like Dean Court in Bournemouth. Mm. It has to be used for sporting yeah. purposes. Right. And that's a really, really good thing. And mm. I believe that the training ground talks have also been go going with Woken and Borough Council because Bearwood's outside of the remit of Reading um, mm. about that also being protected. I don't think it is at this moment in time, but the training ground, I believe, falls under the, the remit of the football club. And looking at uh, Matthew's you know, fantastic diagram, actually, it mm. looks as if you've got Reading Football Club, then you've got the Community Trust, Bearwood, and then the women's team. Yeah. Um, you've got the, the stadium owned by Dai Yong, but then you've got the hotel um, and also Royal Elm Park, which is another interesting one, owned by the Thai Consortium. So yeah. is it a case that 
you know, the ties, we should also be pointing the finger at them because they have asset stripped the football club as well. Well, I think the, the original takeover by Dai, I think, was for 75% of the equity in the club with the Dai Consortium retaining 25%. But from my understanding, that now has since shif- has since then shifted and it's around 95% um, owned by Dai. I could be wrong on that, I'm sure. I'm sure uh, some Reading fans will correct us if we uh, if we get these figures wrong. Um, but 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 ultimately, I mean, I think that these are not the the, the the these are not the things that we really need to be too worried about. It's more that the sale has to go through as quickly as possible. Yeah. And there's a few reasons for this. Just so from maybe a perspective that's not discussed as extensively in the in this sort of english football circles but there's as i said there's several things that, that have cropped up when i've been digging around on die on chinese state media and and uh, various other sort of websites so the first thing that comes up is that he's recently so what we've got is we've got hong kong and we've got the the people's republic of china okay yeah. So these are distinct legal jurisdictions, okay? Hong Kong, yes, is under the control of China, but it has its own legal system. It has its own economic system. It is ostensibly a different system to the mainland. Um, so what's happened in Hong Kong is that very recently, I think around the early January, first, second week in January, um, um, we start reading about... Um, a judgment on the mainland that the high court in Liaoning province, which is another province in northwestern China, yeah, um, has ruled on one of two civil cases where Dai Yonge is named as a defendant. So he's been so the, you've got two cases where Chinese state-owned banks have taken Dai Yonge and Dili Group to court because of um inconsistencies in loan applications. So it looks like what's happened is Dai has had control of certain companies. He's taken out loans. Those companies have acted as guarantors on those loans. And then he sold the companies without telling the people buying them that they are on the hook for these loan repayments. So obviously, I mean, this is non-disclosure, basically. Yeah. Like, totally out of order. So the, the first of these cases has been has been ruled on by this court in Liaoning, and that has passed down a judgment that Dai and his fellow co-defendants are on the hook for 1.175 billion RMB, mm-hmm. which is about 130 million pounds. So they're now contesting that. But it was because of these two cases and one of them still pending we shouldn't shouldn't be too much longer maybe another few months before we find out about that one that's not as much money um it's a brand it's around the 1 billion rmb so around the 100 million pounds mark again yeah. but the first case um was about 3 billion rmb and the ruling was that they had to pay about 1.175 so but still you know it could be another 25 20 25 million pounds that the guy's got to pay back um so we'll wait for that judgment. But the interesting thing is that these two cases in the mainland are the reason that Dealey Group has suspended trading on its shares in Hong Kong on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange since November 2022. 
I believe. So as soon as these court cases were announced, it's such a threat to their cash flow as well that they've had to suspend, um, they, they voluntarily suspended trading on their shares. And those shares have never, they've not, they've not been traded again since. So we've got this clear issue where whatever's been going on with Dayonger or Dili Group signing off um, and borrowing money from Chinese state-owned banks um, is causing problems for the company in, in Hong Kong. I mean, there's major question marks over it. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I then discover is that, um, and I'll do this in day order, so is that I was looking around and, and just noticed uh, 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 in, in the results, there was some results from the Supreme Court website. So this is the, um, this is the uh, Supreme Court of the um, People's Republic of China. Um, and on there, there was letters regarding a criminal case um, about about a um, a former business associate of Dayonga who had been convicted, I think in 2019, um, had been convicted of embezzlement and fraud. And I mean, it's quite a complex case, this, but... In the end, what happened was Dayonge ended up being compensated um, and um, paid money. They, they confiscated this guy's assets, threw him, threw him in prison, and then and then gave a huge payout to Dayonge, who was never actually defrauded himself. And, the, and, and what's happened is, is that the, this guy, Guan, who's now in prison, has written, or his family has written, to the, the Liaoning High Court um, in Liaoning province. And that court has published these letters on their website and it implicates Dayonga in all sorts of corrupt goings on with, with corrupt officials who are now, you know, in prison serving life or, or commuted death sentences. I mean, this is quite serious stuff. It's, it's bonkers, really. So the fact that he's embroiled in that um, and the fact that the they published this, given given the rumors around how well connected Dayonga is, for, for for these allegations to be published on the Supreme Court's website is quite a thing. It's not, you know, if he was that influential, there is no way on God's earth somebody running the um, Supreme Court website is going to post that up unless they've been told to from a very senior authority so there's some serious question marks here and he's been implicated alongside um it's one of the biggest scandals of the last sort of 20 years in chinese politics uh, it's the sun li jun incident so sun li jun was the former he's the former deputy director of china's state police it was sentenced to a commuted death sentence for corruption and what these letters allege is that this was a business dispute between Dai Yong and one of his former business associates. And he colluded with these corrupt police officers in order to have this guy's um, thrown into basically thrown into prison, assets stripped and um, and silence, basically. So I don't know what's going to happen to that. It's entirely possible. Nothing will happen with it. But it's just the fact that it's been published online is is alarming, to say the least. Um, and the final thing is 
over the last couple of weeks, the decision in a Hong Kong court to um, to call for the liquidation of Evergrande, which is a which is a massive, massive Chinese property company. <coughs> now, Dai is not he's not uh, uh, he's not the guy that we associate with um, with Evergrande. This is a much bigger fish. That's it's a guy called commonly referred to in English press as Hui Kaiyin or Xu Jiayin. Um, previously one of the wealthiest men, if not the wealthiest men in China. He's now under house arrest um, on the mainland. Um, the company owes around 300 billion US dollars in debts. There's massive levels of unfinished apartment blocks that, that people across China have, have bought, and these are not getting finished. So it's a major, major headache for the Chinese authorities. And we need to see what's going to happen with this. But I did have a bit of a dig around again and found that back in August 2022, or August 2020, sorry, back in August 2020, Dai um, another guy called Jack Ma, who you may have heard of, is the head of Alibaba. Yeah. Um, um, so, he's, you know, one of the, one of the most famous entrepreneurs in China. Another guy called Pony Ma, uh, who is the who who is I think the number one wealthiest guy in China now? Um, he's the head of Tencent, um, Tongshun, which is a company that uh, developed WeChat, um, and so there's th those three and, and I think eleven other very serious investors piled twenty three point five billion Hong Kong dollars into Evergrande, mm -hmm. and what it looks like is that is is. The, the the company owned by Dai Yonggu, again, traced to a British Virgin Island company, um, bought shares worth 500 million. Um, was it 500 million? Shares worth 500 million Hong Kong dollars. But what it also shows, and this is the beauty of the Hong Kong system, is it's very transparent, um, is that a Hong Kong company, the day before he bought those shares, loaned him 300 million Hong Kong dollars at an intra annual interest rate of 10%. So what it looks like is that he's taken out a lot of 300 million dollar loan from Hong Kong. He's bought 500 million worth of shares from Evergrande. Those shares are now worth nothing. They've actually collapsed in value over 99%. So he's now got at least a 300 million loan that's accruing 10% a year. So that's you know thirty, say thirty million, thirty million pound loan. He he then went and bought fifty million pounds worth of of shares. Those shares are now worth nothing, and he's still got to pay this this money back at ten percent interest a year. And the the interesting thing about those loan agreements is that quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. A certain amount of property owned by the British Virgin Islands was put up as collateral, was mortgaged. But Dayonger is the personal guarantor on those loan contracts. So if if it goes bad, it's they're not chasing a company for those debts. They're chasing him and his personal wealth. So this could, you know, this Evergrande situation could seriously, seriously damage his his, his business um, prospects in certainly in Hong Kong. I mean, he might not be able to go back there. Never mind just the mainland. So from what I can see, honestly, it, it's looking. It, it looks pretty bad for him on all fronts, if I'm being honest. And the question is, is what is he selling? How much does he want for it? What what does the person buying get for it? Do they get the stadium? Do they get the training ground? Or do they do they just get the football club and and you know all the bad stuff, the wage bills and things like yeah. that? Um, um so I and I think that the, the urgency is is twofold. Is they need to sell because the club can't really sustain this. They, I mean, what are they? They're going to sell all of their players. They're going to lay off every single member of staff. Are people going to just volunteer to work and for free and play for the club for free? I mean, that's not going to happen, is it? So there's that level of urgency. But the other is that if things do go bad for Die, the chances are that they're going to go very, very bad. And you know, we could be talking disappearing. Um, into a into what you call a, a Shuangwei investigation by the by the Communist Party. He could be disappeared and, not, and and you know disappear for six months and then suddenly come back charged with all sorts of stuff. This tends to be the way things happen in China. So I think he needs you know we've no idea whether that's going to happen and I don't want to put any sort of allegations out there that is but it looks to me like he's got serious political problems on the mainland and he's got very serious financial issues out of his base in Hong Kong. So uh, it, it really is very urgent that he, that he sells the club so that they can, you know, turn it, turn, turn it around and, and get it going in the right direction. One thing when I saw um, the piece earlier on today is, and of course, the 30 million was mentioned as mm. price, but also he wants a certain percentage for any future promotions. Now, I mm. personally think, you know, and I'm not sure what you think, Mike, I think this is ludicrous. And if we put this, take this away from football, if somebody sells a house yeah. and that house is worth 200,000 mm. and then the next owner comes on and builds an extension and a conservatory, mm. you can't turn around saying that you've sold that house for 200,000 and mm. say, I want a bit of any future you know pop any futures you know profit um Mm. and this is basically what he's done he's kind of held is he actually selling the entirety of the club is he going to sell the majority of the club Mm. because surely if he sells the majority of the club like he should do which is the only thing that the fans will be happy with he should have no right to anything after that point well, if it's in the contract, he will have a right to it. But he, I mean, this is the thing: is is he know 
one thing you've got to you've got to understand is we always well, we tend to have this view of you know um sort of east asian cultures of being very civilized and calm but you should be under no illusions these the, the, these people are serious business people yeah absolutely ruthless and behind the sort of veneer of the smile and the politeness and the sort of gentle um etiquette and this type of thing is th these are streetwise streetwise muggers basically and if you leave yourself open to um to them you know taking you and leaving you in you know naked in a ditch somewhere then that's your fault according to their business culture if you don't protect yourself if you don't um behave in a way that 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 um protects you against being taken for a ride then that's on you that is not my fault that's that's a very much a sort of attitude within the chinese um business community and th the other thing is when you're partnering with people you want to find people that are equally as ruthless as you because you know that they're not going to put your stuff at risk but what we see what i think we're going to see with dai is that he he has you know there's no sentimentality here this is straight up money to him yeah um and also he's from this generation of of of, of people that are not they don't have particularly sophisticated views on on these things Money is money is money. If I've got something and you want to buy it, it doesn't have a price, okay? We, we have this sort of obsession in the West of like looking at balance books and trying to accurately predict the value of a company, right? Yeah. Um, and then saying, right, this company is worth, Reading FC is worth, according to the balance sheet, if we look at this, we can form a persuasive argument that it's worth 30, that it's only worth 25 million. So we'll put in a bid for 25. But Dayonger's not that type of business guy. He's a realist, and he knows that there's only one Reading Club, and if you want to buy it, you've got to pay me what I want. It's do you see what I mean? It's not yeah. this is not a negotiation as far as he's concerned. He's got what somebody else wants. It is how much is it worth? It's worth however much Dayonger can get out of them. That's how much Reading Football Club is worth. So what we end up with is you end up with a, a negotiations sort of system. In China, which isn't really about agreeing things, it's about figuring out what the other side wants, so that you can stop them from getting it. And that is that is the the mentality that Dai will take into any discussions. Um, so if you go in there and you sit down and you say, right, look, we've got a consortium together, we've got thirty million, we're really keen, we want to buy this club. It's good for you. It's good for me. Dai Yonggu is just going to sit there and think, it's, it's this is Christmas. You've just told me that you've got 30 million. Right. Well, I think I could probably, you know, waste three weeks, four weeks of your time negotiating with a six-week deadline. And then in that last two weeks, then I'm going to start pushing the price. I'm going to become reluctant. Um, and then you're going to think, well, we've wasted so much time. We need to try and get the extra money from somewhere else. This is how it's going to roll, definitely. Um, so what what whoever's going to come in and buy Reading needs to figure out very quickly what Dai wants. And I don't think anybody out there, myself included, really has any idea what he wants, right? So how can we so how can we negotiate with that? How can you how can you go into a room and get the better of somebody when you've absolutely no idea 
what their end goal is. The other thing as well that I wanted to um, flag up with you was, of course, select car leasing have been paying the players' wages and the staff wages for a period of time as well. Mm. I believe it's two months or three months. Um, mm. Of course, there has been numerous times, and in fact, it's on the 12th of each month. There's no reports as yet if he's web whether or not he's actually made that transfer out of China into the club's bank account to actually pay the players and the staff. Mm. Um, this mm. is where this disqualification has come from. But mm. with Select Car Leasing stepping in and making those payments, would they not be entitled to, and this might be a bit of a positive, or me trying to be a bit positive, would they be able to place a charge against the stadium, the training ground, the club, to effectively devalue the actual figure that the club is worth to Dai Yong, or am I just being hopeful? I think it depends how they've how they've gone about this. So I would imagine that the that the people at Select Car Leasing, you know, are professional business people. They are not. They are not just going to have rolled up with a suitcase full of money and said, "Look, we'll pay the players. You know, we'll we'll help you out here." So I, I would imagine that the way that that's been done is that it has been either an interest-free loan to Reading Football Club Limited um, with some kind of repayment date down the line, maybe, you know, two years, 12 months, two years, three years, five years, whatever. Um, or it might be an interest-bearing loan. Um, or, it, you know, it's, in either way, it's debt that will be owed by the club to select car leasing. I would imagine that that's how that they've had to do that. So when they say they're paying the, the, the players' wages, is they're not. What they're doing is they're providing a loan to Reading FC. Yeah. Um that they you know they might they might decide to write off at a later date, but at the moment appears as debt on the balance sheet. Now what that does is that means that anybody coming in um to buy that club is going to look at the balance sheet and say, well you've got this whatever it is, let's say, I don't know, two million worth of debt, then you've got a two million loan from select car leasing, right? So um, that is going to devalue the asking price of the club. So it, it will it will bring the price, it will, bring the, it will impact the price of the club depending on what those debt liabilities are in the future. Um, so I would imagine that's how they've done it. Um, I'm not, I'm just speculating here. Um, but it seems to me that what what that what select car leasing have done is they've really bailed the club out here by providing a credit facility that allows them to keep operating and also crucially allows Reading to avoid any more points deductions for non-payment of players um, because I think that's an automatic points deduction in EFL if you don't pay your players on time. Um, on the on the money is is that that money is never going to be transferred from mainland China. Um, so I think the issue is is that the the EFL has told Dai that he has to transfer 125 percent of yeah. a month's wage bill to Reading FC. Um, otherwise, he would be up on disciplinary charges, which has already gone through. He's been given an eighty thousand pound fine for this. It was originally a smaller amount. Then it's been um, up to eighty thousand. I mean, this is nothing to him. He's not going to bat an eyelid at eighty grand. I mean, he'd spend that at a restaurant. 
um, on a night out. Um, but um, the money that he transfers in is very likely going to, maybe not even Hong Kong, but from some of these shell companies. He He's hiding a lot of money overseas uh, in the British Virgin Islands. Almost everything comes back to a BVI company when you check it out. Um, the question, but but I don't think he's I don't think he's going to put any more cash into the club. It looks to me like he's very cash poor at the moment. I don't think he's got a lot in the bank, as it were. He's got assets. He's got his son. Um, he transferred. His son is the CEO of DD Group now. Um, but then there's also his, his his sister as well. I mean, I don't think enough people may be looking at looking at her, but. Um, you know, she's a minority shareholder in, in, in Reading FC by all accounts. Um, from what I've seen, is it's it's run her sports group and that's owned by a shell company based in the British Virgin Islands. But um but but we have regulators, the EFL don't have any teeth. There's nothing that they can do to force him to sell Reading Football Club. So, you know, the cards are in his hands at the moment, unless there's some other leverage that, that they can figure out. But it's very sad, very, very sad state of affairs. Definitely. Um, the last real question I wanted to ask you on this, and to be honest, I saw this when the EFL was pressing for Dai Yong to be disqualified as an owner of Reading Football Club. I thought of this as the route out of this issue and the way to save the football club, that the EFL was doing this in the football club's best interests. But like you said earlier on, it could be the doomsday scenario where it's got to happen very, very quickly. Mm. Um, of course, if that does happen, mm. Reading could be put straight away into administration. And of course, that would normally have a 10 point deduction. Yeah. But this is a very, very unique situation that really hasn't happened before. Yeah. We believe this man has got money. Yeah. Could it be a case that the EFL will turn around and say, effectively, what we've done is put you into administration and work with the club to get that through as quickly as possible? Um. I don't. I mean, honestly, I'm. I'm not. I'm just not sure what's going to happen. I mean, I think that this, that this issue that that if um, disqualifying die as an owner would would launch Reading Football Club into a 28 days to sell or really die um, um, scenario. Um, there is nothing that I've seen so far from Dai's conduct that would reassure me that he would do the right thing. And I think any Reading fan searching the, you know, asking themselves that question, do you think that he would sell within 28 days? But the gun's not, like I said, the gun's not at his head, it's at yours. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, I don't think I don't think there's a, a, a single iota of trust left in the Reading football supporting community uh, with Dayonga. Um, and I would, I would not take any chances because the simple matter of the fact is, is that's a power play to try and force him to sell when he knows and you know you have no legislative or statutory power to make him do that. So, you know, what if he just doesn't blink and plays a game of chicken and it gets to, you know, 10 to midnight after that 28 days? 
do you think that the EFL are going to want to be in a situation where they expel Reading Football Club? Then they'll just climb down. This opens a whole other can of worms on stuff like independent regulation, whether the regulators are fit for purpose. I mean, they've almost got to kill the club and expel them in that scenario. Um, so I, I, I just think it's a, it's a non-starter. I think, um, you know, it may get to, it may get to a point where, in order to get rid of Die, the club has to promise him a certain um, uptick in payments if they make it back up to the Championship and then to the Premier League. Yeah. If that's what if that's what he wants to go, he really holds all the cards here. He owns all the shares. I mean, it's his. It's his club. Um, it's his. It's his uh, company, at least. It's not his club, but it's his company, and he can ostensibly do whatever he wants with it. We've seen a similar thing at Everton with Mashiri. You know, why is he not communicating with the fans? Why is he not talking to us, telling us is he going to put more money in? You know, uh, over the last three years, but it all boils down to the same fact: is that Farah Mashiri owns ninety-five. 95% of the shares of this club, it's his. He can do whatever the hell he wants with it. And nobody, nobody can stop him. Um, he could run it into the ground if he if he really wanted. Um, and nobody would be able to stop him. There's not a sort of legal redress to do that. And I think that this is one of the main reasons we need an, an independent regulator of English football. It's the exact reason the whole Crouch Report debate came up, was to, was to recognise clubs as vitally important socio-cultural institutions and um, to bring in a, a regulatory regime that protects the clubs, that protects club heritage, that project, protects the communities that they serve and out of which they've emerged. Um, and more crucially than that, um, that, that prioritise, prioritises the game itself and the fans who support the teams throughout the English football pyramid. Because at the moment we don't have that. Um, we, we've got we've got a self-serving set of regulators that are both the beneficiaries of and the police of a system that they have created. I, I mean, it really is staggering. If it was in any other industry, um, it would be yeah. We would have shut it down years ago. Years ago. So we'll have to we'll have to see what happens with it, but. Um, I just hope that that die sells up as as quickly as possible. Um, I just don't have much faith that it's going to be an easy process to get him to sell. I think he's going to squeeze every last drop out of any potential buyers. Um, but let's hope I'm wrong. Well, it's not what Reading fans and it's not what I wanted to hear, but it is the cold hard truth, unfortunately, at this moment mm. in time. And you know, I think. Until there's a point, you know, based on what you've said, until there's a point where, you know, something happens that, you know, like you say, hold, he holds the cards, mm. the EFL mm. forcing his hand, you know, could spell absolute disaster. Whereas, you know, initially I was all excited when I heard that, but mm. it was, it's a case that, you know, that could be the thing that kills the club. But, yeah. Well, I mean, we, we don't we don't know. And, you know, it, it's entirely possible I'm wrong that the die genuinely wants to sell. Um, I think if that was the case, the club would have been sold back in December. 
Uh, it seemed to be clear that there was some some serious bidders in there. Um, and for whatever reason, at the last minute, there was some sort of change of the conditions by Dai. He walked away and the whole thing um, collapsed. So um, I sincerely hope that, that, that the club gets uh, sold um, as quickly as possible because it seems to me that, that actually on the, on the you know on the face of it now they have been stripped down but but i think that if there's any positives for, for for royals fans to look at out of this is that when they do get new owners in that can um perhaps bring in a little bit of capital to stabilize the club to you know rehire those people that have been made redundant if they need their jobs back um to cover the any any player wages, payback select car leasing stadium, um, to sort of re-establish that they have then got a very low cost operating base. That if they bring in people that know what they're doing, um, in terms of the football side of things, are going to be able to make pretty big wins pretty quickly. So it's not like it's not like they're looking for somebody to take over, and the club is then going down. Um, uh, another division um, where they've got massive exposure to drop in revenue streams, but also a huge wage bill. So th I think the worst of it, this is just, this is the, the home straight that you're in. It's not, yeah. this is not the beginning of a, of a, of a really bad um, experience. You've, they've been through the mill. They just need a little bit of patience to just see it through and, and get through this last sort of um, this last leg of the race, basically. Um, and it's just that it, it's just the uncertainty and the flying blind with it. We don't know what 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 Di wants. We don't know what his motivations are. Um, we're just going to hope that there's some willing bidders out there to give Di whatever he wants, but also to negotiate very very hard with the guy. Um, and 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 then hopefully the club's going to be in a position to sort of bounce back. Well, fingers crossed. The club has got a fantastic stadium, got a fantastic training ground, excellent academy that was built up mm. by Eamon Dolan. All the ingredients are there. You know, exactly. unfortunately, a lot of the staff have left, but I'm sure that somebody has got an address book at the football club to get them back once this sorry scenario is over yeah. and, you know, continue the fantastic work they were doing before Di turned up. But thank you so much for coming on, Mike. Honestly, this has been really, really interesting for me. And, of course, Everton are going through as well. Um, yeah, we're having our own our own travails. So we're, yeah. we're hopefully, and I, I use the word cautiously, but we, we we believe that we're going to find out potentially towards the end of this week about our appeal over the 10 points deduction that we received back in November. Um, we obviously, um, you know, I think I've seen this going a few times. I've said it myself is we're preparing for the worst, but hoping for the best. Um, and um, it, it could be towards the end of the month, but we're hopeful that it's going to be um, towards the end of this week. But yeah, everybody's just on 10 hooks, agonizing, waiting for this decision to drop, checking, you know, refreshing and doom scrolling on Twitter all the time. Um, but then once we've got that done, we've got the issue of a takeover and then we've got the issue of this second PSR allegation um, or second PSR charge 
that's, that's apparently being made at the club. Um, so, yeah, but let's take one battle at a time. We want the appeal decision first. We want good news. We want our yeah. points back. Uh, and then we'll worry about what, what else the Premier League is going to throw, uh, throw at us. Um, and we'll see from there. I said at the time, you know, when it was announced, this 10 points deduction, I said it was completely wrong. From a Bournemouth perspective at the time, because we were down there, yeah, it could have worked in Bournemouth's favour. However, it is not right. It is not right. And the thing is, is they're setting a very dangerous precedent because the evidence I've seen is incredibly poor. Mm. And especially when you've got Man City and Chelsea with 115 charges and Chelsea, I made a prediction, really. It was an open prediction that Chelsea was going to be involved in this mm. um, at the time. And evidently it was. But you can't hit Everton and punish Everton for one charge and not punish Man City and Chelsea for multiple more. And what they should do is the Man City charges, if they are going to uphold Everton's points deduction, they need to start going through the Man City ones straight away, one by one, mm. and start deducting them points for each one, not leaving it, you know, until they've looked at 115, because how long is that going to take? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure on the nature of the charges at the Man City. I mean, it is it is clearly a much more sort of complex um, issue. Well, the reason that ours, uh, uh, the Everton's case has come forward first is because it's a, it's a pretty cut and dry allegation. Um, you've spent over a very clear crystallized loss limit of 105 million over three years cumulative, cumulatively. We've we, we, we've lost 19.5 million over that. Um, according to the Premier League, um, so it's a cut and dry charge. And but the, the issue with it, the, the, the I think a lot of Everton fans, myself included, very annoyed about is that the burden of proof seems to be on us to prove that we didn't do that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, the the penalty itself is is very severe. Even yeah. if, if if you look at sort of you know, what we call persuasive precedents from other jurisdictions. So if we look at cases in the Yale, including Reading, including Sheffield Wednesday, where they've had nearly 50% overspends um, and sold their stadiums in order to try and be compliant with PSR, where um, they've been given six-point deductions on appeal or six-point deductions at the outset. We've been given 10 points straight away, and we're building a new stadium. I mean... It, yeah. it, just, it just doesn't compute, really. So we think that the, the, the it's incredibly excessive um, as a punishment. But um, my own my, my own view is that the the PSR, and I've challenged, I've, I've asked so many people this, and and you know it's surprising how many people are commenting on PSR. They conflate two terms. They say FFP versus PSR. FFP is strictly a UEFA term. And it's yeah. very different because UEFA is a league, right? If a club goes bankrupt, it is not UEFA's problem to deal with, right? UEFA deal with only the top clubs who qualify through, you know, winning trophies or winning their leagues in, in, in their competitions. What they're concerned with with FFP is that um, it's, is, is that clubs don't overstretch themselves, obviously, but that they protect the integrity of the European competition. 
what that means is is that they don't want clubs going bankrupt halfway through a season because they're trying because they qualify for Europe and spend so much money that they can't then pay their operating costs because then you're presented with a problem in a knockout where certain other teams are going to have to get buys in that competition or it, it changes the structure of group phases and what have you. So that's what they mean by protecting the integrity of the UEFA competitions. PSR in the EFL and Premier League is has been con conceived solely and purely to encourage responsible financial management of football clubs. It has got nothing to do with sporting um, um, advantage. And, and, you know, I've actually been through the regulations and we're talking you know, 400-odd, 500-odd page Premier regulations, only on six pages in the entire Premier League handbook does it mention PSR. Um, in, the, in the UEFA, I think it's about 268 pages that they've got on their FFP, and it goes in a huge amount of detail. Not once does it, does it, not once does it say it is about ensuring fair competition between competing teams. It's nothing to do with that. Um, it's about protecting the integrity of the sport. Um, and the EFL as well. They have more detailed policies, but PSR in the EFL is, again, solely about ensuring the right fiscal management and responsible fiscal management of our football clubs. Yet, when clubs breach those PSR, it's not the owners or the directors that are sanctioned for this, the people running the club, the people running the clubs into the ground in a lot of cases. It's the fans and the teams they get hits with points deductions, which actually, in certain cases, forces those teams closer to regulation and into exactly the situation what which PSR was allegedly devised to um, disincentivize. You know, it was it, it's 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 it plunge. It, if we get relegated, Everton get relegated. Make no mistake, we're going straight into administration. Um, it would be almost impossible for us to avoid it. Um, I don't think we we get liquidated. We're a Premier League club. We've got a shiny new stadium on the on the docks there. There'd be too much interest. There'd be people waiting yeah. to snap it up. But 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 it, it seems to me that we're in a situation where where the actual punishment for failing to comply with regulations designed to make us act more financially responsible will actually have a bigger, a much greater damage to our football club than you know, overspending. It's utterly ridiculous. And that's but the crazy you, thing about it. I, I just don't understand, you know, what they should do, you know, and I thought, I, you know, this is another real question that really could fit with Reading, could fit with Everton. I personally think all of the clubs in the EFL, Premier League, even below that, should have a golden share with... Mm the regulators you know when a team is promoted to premier league transfers to premier league when a team's relegated transfers to the afl to make sure that this sort of scenario doesn't happen because everton again you know were a very very well run club mm. you know for a period of time i know around about 2004 the club was on shaky ground um and of course david moyes got the club into the champions league um yeah. Just yes, we were well. We finished fourth that season, but that was the yeah. that was the season they won in in Istanbul as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. And they had, so so we ended up having to go through a qualifying round, and 
and uh, yeah, then there was a disastrous, um, a disastrous game, and Pierre Luigi Colina uh, became the most hated man on Merseyside, um, <laughs> the blue half of Merseyside at least. Um, but yeah, just going back to that point you mentioned on the on the golden shared again, this is something that is included as a recommendation in the Crouch Report. Yeah, and that's a specific recommendation that um, that 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 says that a Golden share system should be operated. That shadow boards must uh, shadow boards, what we we're now calling fan advisory boards, must operate, and that um, certain community um, institutions need to be uh, community community benefit societies need to be set up to hold a golden share on behalf of the fans. And if a if a club owner wants to change the kit color or change the name or change the club crest or sell the stadium or sell any of the assets. To come under club heritage, then they 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 can only do this with the express consent of the holders of the golden share, i.e., the fan base. So, um, I mean, this is something that's absolutely needed. Um, had this been in place, Reading would still own their stadium. Sheffield Wednesday would still own their stadium. Um, they might have been hit with an even even harsher sanction in terms of um, PSR. But they'd still own their stadium, and they would likely, you know, that would likely have had more severe consequences for the owners on on um, on owner and directors' uh, tests or possibly disqualification. Um, but if we get this, if we get this independent regulator of of, of football, we are going to get it. Um, it's definitely happening. It's a hundred percent. But the big question is: is how much power will it have? What's its statutory power? What's its legislative power? Um, will it have the power to um, eject irresponsible owners um, and then, you know, even on a temporary basis, take over the running of clubs that are in financial distress? Um, it needs these powers. And that's what that's what every football fan should be discussing over the next six months as this, I think, maybe towards the end of March, after the budget is debated in Parliament, we're likely to see time given on the floor to debating the um, football governance bill. And every single football fan, it doesn't matter if you're Man City, if you're Liverpool, if you're Everton, if you're Reading, if you're Bournemouth, if you're, I don't know, uh, Wrexham, or if you're any club in the top five divisions right down from the Premiership right down to the National League, this is definitely going to be the most important change to football, arguably, since the Premier League um, was founded back in 92 definitely and funny enough you know if it was done all those years ago you know and I was speaking earlier on today to um, some AFC AFC Wimbledon fans you know again that is probably the best so example AFC Wimbledon we are we absolutely 100% do not mean MK Dons do we no these these no. are the, these are the legacy fans who stay yep. When, um, when that club was moved out of the out of the city back in when it must have been the late nineties, was it? Uh, two thousand and one, I believe it was right. that they moved to the National Hockey Stadium, right. and then the following year, um, AFC Wimbledon started. I think the football club's yes. name changed in around about two thousand and three, um, but don't quote me on that. But that is the prime example 
of yeah. why we need this independent regulator who is going to stop situations like that. That should never, ever have happened. It should, it should never, never, ever happen again. Yeah, it should never have happened. should never happen again. I would say the, the situations that we find ourselves in um, with bad owners, and I include Dion Gur, yeah. I include you know, who seems a vindictive owner, I include incompetent owners like Fahad Majiri, and I also include rent-seeking owners like the Glazers, who have just absolutely sucked the lifeblood out of Manchester United. We all have something in common here. Um, I just, I mean, maybe just on a final point here, as we're yeah. waiting for this decision um, on our appeal. Um, a conversation I was having uh, earlier today, and a, and a couple of I put a couple of tweets out on it. Um, just thinking through these ideas is is um, whatever decision if 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 Everton do get a ten point deduction and that that decision remains, this sets what we call a binding precedent. So any club, any club that faces PSR, this is going to be the benchmark that affects them. The other thing that's going to happen is that, remember, the Premier League pretty much is the engine that drives the entire European transfer market. So if you, we're now in a situation, I mean, how many how many signings did we see in the winter transfer window? It was next Not to none. Not at all. Not yeah, it was nothing. And the reason is that every, every single club, and I think you said this to me, Earlier, even whether you're down the bottom of the Premier, bottom end of the Premier League, mid table, even higher up, I mean, Man City, Man United, Liverpool, nobody's spending, right? No, nobody. not at all. Um, and so, what's going to happen is, is if this kills, I mean, I think player transfer fees are, are massively inflated anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but but let's say, for example. You know, we've got two players at the moment that we think are worth big money, and that's Amadou Onana and Jared Branthwaite. Does anybody in their right mind think that we're going to be able to command the type of fee we would have done two years ago for this type of player? Um, I mean, I'd be surprised in the summer if 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 this if this judgment stays, it is going to absolutely depress the European transfer market for at least the summer transfer window, as all clubs scramble to overcompensate and make sure that they're compliant with PSR, because none of them want to risk that 10 um, point. So, you know, in that sense, maybe PSR works. But what it's also going to mean is, is that a club like Everton, who are building a new stadium and are probably banking on the idea that we can sell either Onana or Branthwaite this summer, you know, there's allegedly a hundred million price tag being slapped on Branthwaite or 60, 70 million for Amadou Onana. There's no way on God's earth we're going to make that money if if the transfer market's depressed. It's probably going to be more like 40 and 50 million. Um, you know, and that's not good to us. Maybe for Branthwaite, we might be able to take that um because he's got such a low book value. But for uh, Amadou Onana, he's he, he's worth 25 million on our books as it is. And then we've got to kick 20% of a fee. It might be the the profit, but I think it's 20% of any transfer fee has to go back to Lille. So we'll end up with, what, 10 million to spend on a replacement midfielder. I mean, um, the, 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 the ramifications of this decision is way beyond, way beyond Everton, way beyond even the Premier League. It's going to hugely affect 
the ability of clubs to raise money in the transfer markets. And that might hit, you know, the Brightons of this world harder than others. But it's um, it's going to lead to a, 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 a serious chilling of the football transfer market um, for the for the for this next summer at least. And I think we're sailing close to the wind as well, you know. And you know, there's nothing confirmed. Nobody, you know, has turned around and you know said it as fact. Mm. But there's been a lot of speculation from certain people that I know that you know we are sailing close to the wind. Brooks and Rothwell had to go mm. on loan to actually balance the books. You know, players yep have come in, um, like NSU now, and of course mm. Sinistera has been confirmed. But, you know, all those fans turning round and saying, and to be honest, you could go on that video that I did, you know, back in November, and you could look at the comments, and the Everton fans were really, really pleasant, and, you know, thanks me for what I said. Because it comes from the heart, because, mm. you know, if... And it's like the Manic Street Preacher song. If you tolerate this, then maybe your club might be next. Mm. Um, and all those fans, you know, celebrating what's happened to Everton. You know, how would they feel if it's their club? This is this is my opic. And, and, and yeah. I the other, I mean, the other thing that really annoys Evertonians is that we've been pretty vocal for the last three years. Even going back even longer than that, in terms of certainly certain voices in the in the Everton community, mm -hmm. have been questioning this profligate approach to transfer spending um, and daft wages that we were giving to players, in, particularly in the early Mashiri area, sort of 2016 onwards. Um, but Everton fans have been the strongest critics of the regime that's been running the club. I mean, many of us have seen this coming. It's not difficult to see it coming a mile off. It's, you know, this massive um, sort of tsunami wave coming towards you because you know for a fact that, 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 that this is not the way that you can run a business, a football business sustainably. Um, so we know, you know, we, we were saying this was going to happen. And that's why there's been so much discontent um, in the fan base over the last few years because we know the club's been run, run really badly. Um and that predates any sort of shutting off the funds, um, which happened around 2020, 2021 season um, when Benitez came in and we, we spent one and a half million on, on Damari Gray. I think that was it. Um, prior to that, you know, there was a lot of voices in the Everton community, a few in particular, which were making these business arguments saying um, um, that this is this is totally unsustainable and we need a much more responsible way of running the club and there's no plan uh, basically so you know we, we we are the first i think fan base to say that responsible management of football clubs is not just um something that we should all want but it's an absolute non-negotiable and we need to have a regulatory infrastructure in place that stops owners behaving in a way that puts the clubs um, at financial risk themselves. Um, um, you know, and while we might lament our own situation and certainly think that it's unfair, the points deduction that we've been given, and there's numerous reasons for this, we don't have time to go into yeah. <laughs> today, but... Um, yeah, I mean, 
we're angry about the points deduction, mm. but we're also angry about the way our club's been run and what brought us to this precipice in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, and all we really want, I think, as Everton fans at the moment, is we want we want one season where it doesn't go down to the last couple of games or the last home game of the season. So two years ago, it was game 37. Last year, it was, I believe, against uh, your yeah. chance, yeah? yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you were safe, but we we, we needed to win that yes. game. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and that 1-0 that victory um, was, uh, yeah, just absolutely, what a, what a relief. We just want a season where, you know, we're safe on 40 po points by, like, game week 30 before we then have a last season at Goodison and then we can get into Bramley Moor Dock. We want to, I think that's another thing that, that, that Everton fans desperately want, is to give uh, Goodison Park the proper goodbye that it deserves. Because it is a fantastic, it's oh, a fantastic it old stadium. Yeah, um, it is. And, you know, the atmosphere there, it's, it's a stadium I absolutely love going to. It's, it's, really... it's so tight and everything's just packed and you're on top of it. Yeah. Um, Whereas you go to a lot of modern stadiums now and you, you, you're really far away from the pitch or, you know, uh, you're not high enough up. You can't see all the action. Um, yeah, whereas Goodison's, it, it's not, I wouldn't say, it's it's certainly not cosy, but it's not, it's not, it's not that sort of intimidating, but it's just so close and everything's just so visceral, I think, is is probably the best word. It's uh, it's a It's a beautiful, beautiful stadium. And we'll be very sad to leave. Um, but it needs to be given a proper goodbye, definitely. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, fingers crossed, you know, on Thursday, um, which is when it's expected that you'll get the 10 points back. You know, personally, I think that's what needs to happen. So do I, but I'm not expecting anything. It's everything. So, uh, no. <laughs> fingers crossed for yeah. you, Mike. Fingers no. crossed. I, I know that you put us down a couple of places, but... Hey, yeah, right. it's what's right for football. It's what's yeah. right for football. Well, that's but... it. I don't think any club, and I was going to say this earlier, I completely forgot. Reading, Sheffield Wednesday, Derby County, these clubs should not be suffering points deductions mm -hmm. for the corporate malfeasance and uh, idiocy of alleged professionals who are paid to do their job properly. They should be the ones. It's a moral hazard. Fans and teams should not bear the consequences of the poor management decisions and business stupidity of the people that own the clubs. Um, um, so I think we should we should have a complete moratorium on on any points deductions for any club that finds itself in financial difficulty, um, whether that's PSR, whether it's through insolvency um, events or what have you. Um, we we need to protect against insolvency in different ways, and that's why we need this independent regulator of English football, as far as I can see. Completely agree. Well, Mike, thank you so, so much for your time this evening. It's been an absolute pleasure. Okay, I've really enjoyed it. It's been good yeah. having a chat with someone that, that that's at, the, at least knows the way around these sort of debates and, um, and um, yeah, knows what these issues are. It's... Mm -hmm. uh, I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. I've got to be honest. I'm not an expert in business and management. Nobody but I don't is. think I did too bad. I didn't do too Nobody badly, is. did I? No, no, well, this is it. We're all trying. We're all football fans trying to figure this yeah. stuff out. I think on this particular issue, uh, the, the, the the Chinese element is what makes me really interested in it and trying to understand, you know, what's driving that. So if I can contribute anything that helps 
helps Reading fans maybe understand what you know what might be happening with this guy. Then, then, then yeah, I'll do that. But um, but yeah, I think we're all trying to figure this stuff out. It's um, nobody's an expert on it because it's the first time really that it's happening. So, so let's let's wait and see. End of this week. Hopefully, I'll be in a better mood. Yeah. Well, let's hope for the best this week for yeah. both Everton and Reading. But Mike, been an absolute pleasure, and thank you so much for coming on. No problem, Craig. You take care. I'll speak soon, yeah? And you as well. Take care. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for joining us on this show. Please, like I say, hit the like, subscribe, the bell button, and do go and watch all of our other videos that we have done as well. I did cover in quite some detail, you know, the scenario on one video. I also have had Nick Holton and also Andy Preston on the show as well um, when they were discussing what is going on with Reading. Um, it was shortly after the Port Vale protest, the pitch invasion, um, and who knows where this story is going to end. Hopefully, fingers crossed, it'll end positively. Like I say, we do hope as well that the Everton situation is sorted and any other clubs that are going through similar to what Reading and Everton are going through, you know, get those situations resolved because no club should be going through what Reading, Everton or any other club are going through. So like I say, please do hit the like, subscribe, do check out the other videos. Let us know your thoughts in the comments below and thank you again for joining us on this special show. We'll see you soon. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.